Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. Let's talk about Ephesians 4 through 6 as we finish up this letter of Paul to the church at Ephesus. There are some beautiful passages and some challenging passages, part of this week's reading. Beginning in chapter 4, we begin just right out of the gate with Paul begging. That's such a beautiful thing to me, that a leader would beg those who follow. I am a prisoner of the Lord, and I beg you, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling. I guess as someone who leads believers as a as a pastor in a church, I feel like that's what I do all the time. In every conversation, in every sermon, um, in every prayer, I'm, I'm begging for people to follow Christ, to be all that they can in Jesus, and to lead lives that are worthy of this beautiful calling that God has given all of us, this calling out of darkness and into light to be part of His kingdom and part of His mission and to discover all the wonderful things that are a part of that. Following that, we have a beautiful passage about being one, about being in unity. Um, There's one body, one spirit. We're called to one hope. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Just a beautiful passage about unity and coming together. And in order for that unity to happen, we have to submit to one another. We can't always have our way all the time. But we discuss, we try to discern together where God is leading us, how God would have us move forward. We sometimes have to compromise and not get our way even if it means that body is not making what we think is the best choice for following God, but we have to have a give and take, and our human give and take has to always give to the Spirit of God. That's what we're trying to do is discern the Spirit of God and how we should move forward, that we are one. It also reminds us that we're not always right, and neither are other people. And one of the reasons we have a number of denominations in Christianity is because we didn't agree with each other and we couldn't come to some point of unity. So it became necessary for us to leave one another and each pursue life and following Christ in a way we thought was faithful, but that we still belong to the greater kingdom of God. We believe there is one church and that all those who call upon the name of Christ um, who have followed by, have accepted His grace by faith, are part of that church, and we'll see them in heaven there, even if we're not together here. By the way, verse um, 7 and 8, we have a quotation from Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen. When He ascended on high, He made captivity itself a captive, and He gave gifts to His people, is a quote from the book of Psalms. In verse 11 are some gifts listed. Um, He gave some that would be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those are very often called the fivefold gifts. Those are often also called ministry gifts or the vocational gifts of the Spirit. 
But the idea is that those gifts, vocational ministry gifts, exist to help everyone else grow and mature and follow Christ. We are supposed to grow up. We're supposed to mature spiritually. And when we do, that growth helps us not be blown about by every wind that comes along, by other doctrines that get preached. We develop an ability to recognize false doctrines and false messages. And that comes by being a part of a community that seeks to faithfully discern God by being in the scripture and discussing that with one another and being sure we are interpreting it faithfully by staying in close connection to God through prayer and cultivating an ability to hear the Spirit of God speaking to us. But perhaps you know people who get blown about by every wind of the doctrine that comes along. I see it happen most often in apocalyptic um, things. This is the end of the world. This is end times. This is the mark of the beast. This is the sign of whatever. I can remember growing up as a young person, and the, it was the idea that credit cards were part of the mark of the beast. You would have to have a credit card. It's how they would track you. Um, then it was this idea that everything just became a sign, and you should be afraid of this. You should avoid this. We get carried away now because people say the end of the world is going to be May 12th, whatever year, and everybody begins to worry about that. I remember all of the um, fear that came along our move from 1999 to 2000, um, entering a new millennium, it was going to be the crash of everything and the end of the world. We often get all caught up in that. And I believe some spiritual maturity leads us to go, this could be the end. I'm right with God. I'm trying to live faithfully. I'm trying to point others to God. If it's the end, it'll be okay. We just don't get worked up as much about that. We don't get carried away. You may also know people that are church hoppers. I think church hoppers get caught up with this. This is the popular church, so that's where they go. And then five years from now, another church will be the popular church, and they'll they'll run over there. It is my opinion that this is a sign not of spiritual maturity, but of spiritual immaturity, that we're chasing after um, the newest wind of the of the Spirit, which is not really of the Spirit. Okay, let me move on. I'm, I'm going down another rabbit trail. It also says that being under the control of sin dulls our conscience. Um, when we come to Christ, we often are pricked by things that didn't prick our conscience before, and we need to be constantly careful that we haven't dulled ourselves to hearing God calling us to stuff. I had God convict me of something that I had done that I didn't think about at the time just this very week. And I had to go back to some people and apologize. I had to repent uh, of doing it. And uh, we want to keep our conscience fresh to hearing God call us to repentance. Paul says that there are some rules for living this new life. And what I hear in this passage here at the end of chapter four is that Christians are to be honest that means honesty in what we say and how we conduct ourselves um, and how we live. And we need to have some emotional control. We control how we speak to one another. Be angry, but don't sin. Because um, that leaves room for the devil. Um, and that we need to be kind 
it, this reminds me a little bit of the fruit of the Spirit that he laid out in Galatians. In chapter 5, um, he says we're going to clearly have to make a choice for Jesus. We're going to have to renounce pagan ways. You can't have one foot in each kingdom, okay? You need to get both feet on board for following Jesus, and you have to abandon things that are not conducive to that. Um, in verse 15 of chapter 5, he says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time. Yeah. We have to make the most of our time. Our lives are short. Um, we need to make a mark. And that mark is not always being popular or famous, but we want to live every moment in a way that brings glory and honor to God, not waste it, not fritter it away. I think of those people who say, I'm going to sin as much as I can, and then just before I die, I'll get right with God. Well, they're missing the point that life with God is actually better than the results of all that sin is going to bring you. Um, but the idea is that we we don't want to waste that time. We want to live a life that is faithful to God. All right, then we move into what are the... Um, the controversial passages of the book of Ephesians about how households and relationships should work. These have been some of the verses that have been used to batter and beat women and children emotionally and physically down across time. Let me say very clearly that I don't believe there's any correct interpretation in which a woman who is being abused by her husband should be told to go home and submit. That woman is a precious daughter of God, and God would never approve of her being abused. The same thing is true of children. That is a precious child of God entrusted to a family and to parents, and there is no situation under which physical, emotional, or sexual mistreatment is acceptable before God. Just saying. I want you to notice that all of this, because remember that we came back and added chapters and verses much later after this letter was written. This portion of the letter begins with chapter 5, verse 21. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Some translations say, Mutually submit to one another. Remember earlier we were talking about how we got along in the church. We had to pursue unity and we had to have a give and take between us. Now we're going to talk about it on a smaller level in the household. How do we get along with those people we're in relationship with? We're going to do it by being subject to one another, by having a give and take. And this is what the give and take should look like. Women. Women are going to be subject to their husbands as they are to the Lord. They're going to listen. They're going to be willing to hear. And there has to be some give and take. There are times that I have to give in to my husband, even when I don't think he's right. I have the right to question, to ask, to expect him to engage in discussion with me to help me understand. There is no call here for blind loyalty and obedience and absolute submission to him. I'm not asked of that to the Lord either. I'm allowed to say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand why you're not moving or why you've called me to do this. I can say to God, this hurts me. This feels unkind. I don't get it. 
And the presence of God will come to me and try to help me understand. And I can trust that God wants good things for me. And even if I don't yet fully understand to follow. For instance, sometimes Joseph notices things that I don't notice. There was a time many years ago where Joseph made a comment to me, I want you to stop spending time with that person. And he said, because I'm telling you, if he finds one more excuse to have to touch you, to put his arm on your sh- on, around you, to put his hand on your shoulder, there's something going on there. And I thought he was being ridiculous. This person was a leader in the church. Um, he's just being friendly. It's just how he is. And Joseph said, it's not. Well, my husband was right, and I was wrong. I've learned to trust his instinct on some things. I've learned that sometimes he is the one who is going to respond and react instead of thinking something through, and I can question or discuss with him, and we can come to the right decision. Sometimes it's me that he's going to talk me down. But we have a give and take in our marriage relationship. And part of that comes from what Paul is going to tell husbands to do in verse 25, to love their wives, to love them like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Christ gave his very life for the good of the church, to create the church, to redeem the church. A husband who loves you, who cares for you, who wants the best for you, for the family, who longs to spend time with you, that's a person that a wife can trust and that we can be in a relationship with, that we can together follow God. We can follow our husbands as our husbands together we follow God. Paul is not calling us to an abusive relationship. He is not calling men to be domineering over women. This is about mutual submission, about give and take and getting along. The same thing holds true with children and parents. Children should respect their parents, and parents should respect their children and treat them in ways that help them. We don't discipline in anger. We don't frustrate our children. We don't treat them like they're stupid until they grow up. We do what's best for them. If we treat every person we interact with at work, in the community, and in our homes as someone precious and loved of God, and we want to see them become all that God wants them to be, then we will be doing what God wants us to do, and these relationships will work. The same thing is true of employees, which most of our translations here call slaves and masters or servants and masters. But it would be here um, for us in our modern context, an employee. God doesn't see a difference in value and worth between the boss and the employee. The employee is to do a good job. And by doing the right thing, doing a good job, they honor God. And the boss is to be a good boss. By being a good boss and a good leader, they are honoring God. And then we finish this by talking about the armor of God, how those of us protect ourselves against what is on the outside. The pieces are um, patterned after Roman armor. We battle evil, not people. Our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, against people. Our struggle is actually against rulers and authorities of powers of darkness, of spiritual forces 
that are out there. So this armor is about protecting us against the fiery darts of the devil, against evil, and not about fighting other people. Notice there's only one offensive weapon, and that is the sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. Everything else is defensive. The final word is to stay connected to God and to honor God with the way we stay connected to other people. Paul finishes his letter by sending his um, greetings and his benediction to the people, and then he's going to send this letter to be delivered by Tychicus um, to them, and he commends them to them. So this is Paul's letter to the Ephesians and the things that stand out to me and the way I try to faithfully interpret and apply what I find God saying to us through this letter that he used Paul to pen and capture for us.